the boundaries between industries are, are not that clear anymore, right? You have a, a company that is, you know, set out to to make um, to make difficult life for for the uh, the car manufacturers. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development as businesses aim for long-term success. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sofion CTO. If you're looking for additional information around new product development or corporate innovation, sign up for Sofian's newsletter where we share news and industry best practices monthly. The fastest way to do this is to go to sofian.com, that's S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, and click the sign up and stay informed box. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Glad you could join us today. We have a, uh, a very interesting guest. I'd like to uh, introduce you to Christian Hopp. He's actually professor at the Berner Fachhochschule. And now I've said my German. It's the Bern University of Applied Sciences. He's uh, he's uh, been since twenty since uh, July of last year. He's been heading the methods and tools division at the uh, the uh, at the school at the university. Uh, he studied business administration in in Germany and the Netherlands and the USA. He completed his doctorate in quantitative economics and finance at the University of Constance, and then he completed a master's degree in business administration at the University of Pittsburgh. That'll please uh, the uh, the Pittsburgh people out there. There's quite a number of them listen to this podcast, and then the Rotterdam School of Management, and he got his master's in financial management. Christian, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Paul, for having me, and thanks everyone, of course, for listening in. Um, just to uh, the method and tools division sounds like this is a lot of you know <laughs> craft work and everything. It's actually a lot of data and methods and uh, you uh -huh. know boring stuff. <laughs> I think it's stuff we all. I don't think it's so boring, but yeah. <laughs> so, so where where are you talking to us from? Where are you located? I'm currently sitting in Stuttgart because, I mean, you know, due to the lockdown, I'm currently not allowed to be in the office in uh, in Bern. We're still yeah. working remote. Uh, it's working surprisingly good, um, though I'm you know, getting somewhat tired of uh, of not seeing people around. But um, at least we have the chance to. Uh, you know, use Teams and what what kind of software you have. So it's um, we're hanging in there, and uh, you know, four six more weeks, and uh, then we might get our freedom back. So looking forward to it. Yeah, good. I think the same here. The same here. Uh, did you do uh, Did you do any uh, remote uh, uh, classes? Have you been teaching classes remotely during the? Well, basically, it's 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 kind of odd because I mean, you, you get to the point where you're, you're grading people um, that you've never met before, that you've never seen before, <laughs> oh. um, that you've never seen on camera, on person. So basically, everything's is is remote right uh, wow. right now. But wow. um, I think we're it's been a great learning experience on the technical side, uh, to, to be quite fair. I mean, we, you know, if you would have told us two years ago that, you know, this is this is where um, where the future lies and this is something that we could, you know, sort of adventure into, everyone would have told you this is this is not going to work. But um, you know, being forced doing that, it's um, it's it's working remarkably well um, so far. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what it what it goes back to. Do people go to the office? There's so many models being considered out there. It's, I think you just phrased it very well. We could not have done it 
but we did it because it was forced on us. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice website. Tools are the tools are phenomenal. No, I think it's I think it's okay. I mean, I, I think uh, on the one hand side, you 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 kind of realize that there are a couple of things that you cherish in terms of teaching students. Um, you know, there are a couple of things like you know, if you have office hours, you can do that remote, and I think we'll continue doing that remote. Mm. But there are a couple of things, especially for for new students coming in. You know, the learning experience, the, the being together with with others, talking about difficult you know, exam questions and, and the like learning together. I think this is something that is very, very difficult to do remote because you need this, um, you know, the, the contact uh, with with the people. Yeah. So this is something yeah. that I'm looking forward to, the students are looking forward to. And I think this is this is sort of something that I think we, we learned that uh, it's, it's very difficult to substitute. Yeah. And I guess you gained an appreciation for something you had and you didn't realize how good it was. <laughs> <laughs> that could well yeah. be. Yeah. Well, Chris... How did you uh, get involved in innovation management? Yeah, that's uh, that's sort of a, a long academic story that I've that I've uh, I've been uh, I've been around. I mean, you mentioned my PhD was in quantitative economics and finance, uh, so there wasn't really that much in terms of innovation management. Um, but during my PhD, I, I sort of accidentally ran into a data set that um, was on venture capital investments. And I thought that was uh, sort of a very fascinating area. So I did a lot of research during my PhD on, on venture capital and you know, the, um, the rise of the first uh, number of unicorns and the Googles of this world that, that sort of um, evolved from this time around. Um, subsequently, I was looking into sort of the entrepreneurship side. So what, you know, a lot of research on, uh, on business planning. You know, does it really make sense to have a business plan? Because at that time, everyone was talking about the... Um, you know, lean startup approaches and, you know, just, um, you know, go for it, uh, fail fast and, and so on and so forth. Right, um, right. And I was wondering why, why people were still writing business plans. Um, so did a lot of research on, on this one to find out that actually, yes, there is a time and place for, for doing these type of, you know, using planning uh, type of approaches. Um, and then in 2013, um, I got a job offer to go to Aachen and um, I had a lot of colleagues that were working on innovation management, open innovation, user innovation. Um, so we basically teamed up doing a lot of research over the past couple of years in, in this area, which I think, you know, reflects both of the sites that I've been, been, been engaged with, you know, the, the entrepreneur, um, the technology and, and everything that comes together to make actually for a successful um, company in, in, in this way. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, you, it's, it's, it's amazing the relationship there. This, this concept of business plans is, is, is a good one. I've heard everybody say, we need them, they need to be rigorous, to we don't need them at all, throw them out, make them lean. Uh, what, what have you found in that area of, of, of business plans? Yeah, the, the interesting thing is when you talk to, when you talk to, to, um, to, to academics about it is this yes it, it you know it gives structure it, it helps to raise funding when you talk to to practitioners they will tell you that they just issue planning it's it's, it's something that they don't really do um, but when you you know we look at data so we we analyzed 1200 um, entrepreneurs in the US and and looked at when are they writing business plans and is it you know is it like this 40 page document that sits on the proverbial shelf or is it something that they're actually using? Mm. Uh, and we basically found that if, if you do planning very, very early um, in you know, starting your, your entrepreneurship endeavors, it's not really helping. If you haven't been able to define who your customers are, what, what your business model is, what your business opportunity is, um, 
it's it's very difficult to 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 write a business plan that is you know that you have to change the next week because you haven't really understood what the customers are looking for um so basically planning very early is something that is um that is problematic and basically this sort of mirrors the um the information that we get from the practitioners as well who said that you know you need to be out there you need to be talking about your business ideas and, and get some feedback and, and test run and you know maybe adapt your business model at some point um, but don't really write a business plan. Um, however, um, upon the time when you've defined your business idea, planning makes a whole lot of sense, right? It helps you structure your ideas. It helps you to define bottlenecks. Um, and, and, you know, in the end, it's also a document that VCs are you know, still looking for. It's, it's sort of your, your invite to the dance, right? I mean, you have to have it. And then at some point, if you, if you have achieved this uh, legitimacy, it's just a token. You don't need it anymore. So if you've mm. come to the point where you've developed patents and the like, um, this is also where business planning is not really helpful. So the interesting thing was you started with something which is black and white, and then you realize well, it's interesting because both sides um, have a point. It's just the time of the planning that really matters. And it's not the plan itself, right? It's it's the planning. It's the learning that uh, that goes mm. in there, that goes out there, um, that really makes a difference. Yeah. Did you find any differences between big companies, small companies? You know, there's, uh, obviously, startup is is doesn't have to be small, but it could be a one-person or two-person company, and it could be a 20-person company. It could be bigger bigger startups, can't there? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing uh, is the companies that we looked is, is really, it's the broad universe of, of, you know, all startup activities in the U.S., right? It could mm -hmm. be a mom-and-pop shop, it could be a restaurant, or it could be one of these, um, uh, the larger tech companies. Um, the interesting thing is, is that um, high-tech companies, for example, were more likely to have a business plan but they were also usually um, larger companies. So you had like one, two, three, four founders that were involved. Um, and, and to this end, a plan is also something, you know, at least also in my teaching, this is something that I took off out of my research, is that it helps to, to create a shared vision of, of, the, um, of the people involved. So something that I usually tell my students, uh, if you're interested in, uh, in starting a company, make also sure that you have some type of founders agreement where you, you write down your assumptions, where do you want to take this company and so on and so forth and make it before you run into trouble because once you're in there, it's very difficult um, to navigate that as, as a team. So um, yeah, it was interesting to see that uh, those companies with great ambitions and more tech were the ones that um, were more likely to set up you know, some type of, of, of formal document uh, and, and were planning more um, more yeah, I, I listened to a an interview. Uh, there's a, a radio show in America called uh, NPR, National Public Radio. Maybe you mm -hmm. remember it when you were in Pittsburgh. And they have a show called How I Built This with a Guy Raz. And he interviewed the two founders of Atlassian, big software company. They were the first tech billionaires in, in, uh, in Australia. And they said that the way they decided to manage conflict between the two of them when it was a two-person company, uh, when they could not agree, they had a, they had a written uh, agreement on how they would resolve any difficulty. And it was rock, paper, scissors. It was the game. <laughs> and however it came out, that was a decision. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a fair solution. It's, it it's worked. kind of interesting that you... That, that you're mentioning NPR because you know, like three hours ago I had a, I had a talk with uh, Jaume Villanueva who's at, at Rutgers and we're basically talking about uh, leveraging podcasts for doing research on entrepreneurs because I mean there are so mm. many great stories around and we thought that you know you know part of my, my, my research you know leverages big data and the like and it's kind of interesting because people go so much into the nitty-gritty of, of where they came from the failures they had I mean it's of course 
their version of the world. You're not really sure if it happened that way, but you know, at least in some yeah. way they convinced themselves um, that this is this is how it sort of unfolded and how it also made sense. Um, so it's kind of interesting. I think this is this is a great source um, for also getting information, especially for for the more prominent people in terms of how they went about founding um, their business and what their their visions and their problems uh, were. So it's that's uh, yeah. I think it's really interesting to have these type of podcasts. Yeah. Well, I I took you off. You were talking about your research, and I took you down the path of of business the business case because that's uh, that's it. That's one that I know a lot of people struggle with. But uh, are there any other interesting facts that you learned during that that research? Well, the the interesting thing was, um, you know, part of the research that I think was the uh, the most productive, if you will, um, was that we went from um, the business planning side, we went to sort of more understand the technology that is that is driving the business decisions, if you will. And and, and one of the things that we did was like 2015, 2016, um, there was this, the, if you will, the advent of, of, you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence, analyzing large text corpora. And uh, what we wanted to understand was what's actually driving the driving source behind the success of these companies. And we basically started analyzing all the research that had been done on, you know, breakthrough innovation, radical innovation, disruptive innovation, architectural innovation, incremental innovation, what, what have you, just to see what the literature sort of has, has um, had to say about that. And, and basically... Um, had like a series of, of, of papers and, and, and numerous talks about that, also you know, stuff in, in the Harvard Business Review on these issues in terms of um, the difference between disruptive and radical innovation. So this was mm. something that sort of has been, um, yeah, one of the, the cornerstones of my research for the past four or five years. Um, and it was interesting from an academic point of view, but also interesting, I think, from a practical, you know, practitioner um, point of view to the end. Yeah, those two terms get used... Uh... By by laymen, by people who don't really uh, know that well, get used so interchangeably or incorrectly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Was there what one key learning or piece of advice uh, that that comes out of that study that uh, you, you'd share? Well, you're just saying that it's it's you know difficult for 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 the layman. But um, my feeling is that whenever you talk to uh, talk about you know everything is disruptive nowadays, yeah. right? I mean you know um, everything you come across uh, it could be disruptive, potentially disruptive, and and so on and so forth. So I think when you Google the term, I think you you get a lot of hits that um, have disruptive uh, in in the name. Uh, one thing that we thought was was interesting, and it's sort of also how the literature um, and, and the notion of disruption was evolving. That initially it was only about the technology itself, right? So people, you know, you could get the um, the impression that it's technology that eats the market of a larger company. Like like Mark Andreessen at some point said, you know, software is eating the world. Right. Uh, the interesting thing is, it's not necessarily um, the the technology itself. So the interesting thing is that some of those those companies that have been uh, disrupting markets, there was technology involved. Um, but it was the business model um, that mm. was the most crucial thing. I mean, you start, you know, usually with disruptive innovation, you start at the low end of the market. So the uh, the market that is underserved by the large incumbent, because, you know, they don't treat, you know, it's, it's not where the margins are. It's not where most of the customers are. Um, they don't have these, you know, very exhaustive needs. Um, so it's, it's one thing, you know, you kind of turn a blind eye on, on that side. And then uh, if, if a company comes in that has a completely new um, business model, subsequently it's very very difficult to change for the incumbent because you have to turn your whole company upside down 
And this is sort of the point of, of no return where it's getting very difficult. And then, you know, like the Netflix case, for example, it took ages to, to get Blockbuster out of the market. And it wasn't technology in the beginning. It was just a business model, the mail order business, the, you know, sending DVDs and, and everything. Yeah. But when streaming technologies became available, you had a company in place that was, that was, you know, there was no way back. I mean, there's, you know, you, Blockbuster couldn't get rid of any of the stores. Uh, you were a brick and mortar business and, um, we had no way of, of going back. So the business model and technology, this is sort of what makes it difficult for companies. Mm -hmm. And also when you, you know, when you, uh, when you talk to practitioners about that and probably also to people listening here, you always have this question of, you know, what can I do to, to counter disruption? Um, the problem is if you, if you don't really have a good grip of your customers and the needs of your customers, it's very difficult to change your company. So this is sort of the origin of where disruption actually comes from. And I think in, in some way you have to be always paranoid that there is somebody who understands your customer better um, yeah. than you currently do. And if, if that's sort of, if, if you lose track on that, you basically open up um, avenues for, for competitors um, to come in. Yeah, I would say that, uh, Anybody who's doing innovation right now is in the customer experience business, but first, first above everything else, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is this is a great change, right? I mean, you know, back in the days, and you can see that still for some industries that are, you know, ripe for disruption, if you will. Um, one of the things you realize is that customer satisfaction is is actually fairly low or if you talk to top managers this is not one of the key priorities and i think this is always a good indication that um you're heading for trouble yeah 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 you know the other the other use of the term disruption which is okay so so i'm going to disrupt an industry i'm going to disrupt a business i'm going to my new company is going to disrupt that's but the the one that seems to get also talked about and i don't know how to classify it but it's a disruption to your business model that you didn't plan on and we've seen you know the pandemic was the biggest one right but we've yeah, there have been financial disruptions the pandemic's a big one now we have a global shortage of microprocessors these are really affecting companies aren't they true i mean i think this is also one thing that that is very important because i mean disruptive innovation as the term sort of stands in the literature is something that is defined around your business model then of course you have these um you know always occurring disruptions that you have to sort of counter um and i think the interesting thing is is that it's it's a difference between you know dealing with somebody who is sort of your disruptive competitor or with disruption because in this you know with disruptions Although it's sort of a very difficult term to use, but if you have a company that has, you know, pre-existing conditions, if you will, right, your business model was, was inaccurate. You, did, you didn't really have any type of dynamic capabilities. You're, you, you haven't been hiring the right people over the past years. The pandemic showed, right? If, if you were targeting wrong segments of the markets and so on and so forth, the pandemic basically laid, laid everything bare. And I think this is sort of a different type of... Um, of, uh, of disruption here, we're, we're talking about organizational resilience, right? I mean, it's, you know, you can't really yes. vaccinate companies, but of course, I think that there are a couple of things where you realize that you, you have to change, your organizational culture has to change to counter this type of, of disruption that is currently um, taking place in the market. Yeah, and that, that circles us right back to the, the beginning comments we made about the, the fact that we're working remote, working from home, and that that's another uh, disruption that I think we've uh, we've by and large handled well. I think people have really gotten used to it, as you said. So lots yeah. of disruption in lots of different angles. True uh, that. Yeah. Well, uh, 
thinking about news, what's happening? Have you have you seen any interesting uh, news that's uh, innovation related? A piece of news that uh, you'd like to share? Considering that I spend you know a, a lot of time on Twitter, it's very difficult uh, you know to, to get out of the way of Elon <laughs> Musk, and, and I'm not talking yeah. cryptocurrencies yeah. or Dogecoins here. Um, I think one of the, the things, especially talking about. Um, disruption in, in this matter was um, I, I was surprised to learn that Apple is currently uh, building a large new factory and relying on Tesla batteries, um, which sort of was, was kind of, you know, I, I thought of, you know, Tesla is disrupting um, the automotive industry. But but I think one thing that I, I came to learn, I think it was an article in The Verge that I, that I read about this one. Uh, what I thought was interesting is that, you know, the boundaries between industries are, are not that clear anymore, right? You have a, a company that is, you know, set out to to make um, to make difficult life for for the uh, the car manufacturers. And I mean, you know, I'm sitting in Stuttgart right now, so yeah, I mean, when I watch right. my neighbors, uh, they work for exactly those companies that are afraid of uh, everything that Tesla might be doing. Uh, but the interesting thing is, it's it's not only a car manufacturer; um, it might also be sort of an energy company. And I think this is something that. When I think about uh, different industries, um, the boundaries are, are getting blurred. I mean, I also thought about, you know, what other type of industries might you have that are that are going to be affected by this. And I also thought about, you know, autonomous vehicles, for example, is, uh, you know, yes, that's also a threat for car manufacturers. But, you know, quite frankly, if, if, if I could go from Stuttgart to Bern uh, and, you know, take an autonomous car overnight, um, I don't need to stay at a hotel. Right. I mean, I could I could use my car. So there, there are a couple of things where different industries are, are, are getting uh, closer and closer to each other with this these new type of technologies. And I think this is this is really interesting because, you know, you don't necessarily have to look at your you know, the, the prior competitors. But when you look about uh, across industry boundaries, um, you might see completely new companies um, at the horizon that you should be, you know, looking for as competitors or maybe, you know, look at their business models and, and, and copy some of these ideas. Boy, that's really interesting. As you were talking about taking the autonomous car uh, to burn, I'm thinking of the, I was thinking of the trains and I was thinking of the, in, in particular, the ICE trains, which have struggled as of late with their schedules and you miss a connection. And it's just a, it's a real challenge for the, for the Deutsche Bahn to, uh, to be on schedule right now. And that's going to make it even. Yeah, and especially, you know, I mentioned that before, like customer service is, I'm not sure how high the the, the Chaban ranks there, but I don't think it's one of the main priorities over the past yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't. I hard to find many people that rank very high. Uh, it's sad, but uh, they, they, I know they know about it, and they've got to work on it. Just to clear. Uh, well, uh, yeah, that's very interesting. Um, you mentioned since you mentioned Elon Musk, and I'm thinking a lot about innovation. I'm thinking about companies that. You know, there's there's seems to be innovation that's driven from the top, right? There's a person, really strong leader. We had it in Steve Jobs, uh, Elon Musk. You know, these 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 people who uh, you can go back and say it was Bill Gates. You know, where there's just a very strong presence and drives a major corporation. And then there's big companies that have pockets of of innovation, which is groups of people uh, working in, in, in teams or cross-functionally or, you know, in smaller pockets, maybe trying to be a startup within, within a, a big company. Have you done any, uh, look at when you look at innovation in the lens of that dynamic between maybe single individual driven versus uh, group driven from the bottom up? 
Yeah, I haven't really particularly looked at these things, but but I think this is sort of where two two streams of my research kind of uh, come together. Because I mean, on the one part, I was looking into entrepreneurship. On the other yeah. side, we've been doing a lot of on, on leadership um, as of late. So a couple of studies that look into what are the traits of leaders and what are followers looking in, in, in leaders. Um, and, and one of the things that we always found interesting was, you know, there are certain traits that you have in people. And, and I think when, you, when you're mentioning, you know, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, uh, Steve Jobs, um, I think the visionary part, right? I mean, yeah. what they envisioned uh, the customer to, to, to want, uh, how Steve Jobs issued every type of, 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 of data and, and, and market research uh, was clearly visionary. To be quite fair, uh, as, as a leader or if somebody, you know, could be consulting a leadership, I'm not sure if I want to take a page out of, of either you know, Elon Musk or, or Steve Jobs leadership book. I think this is sort of it, it's a it's a completely different type of organization. Uh, you know, Steve Jobs, you know, be, being fired from his own company. I mean, this is something. Right. Yeah. It yeah, is yeah. very difficult to achieve yeah. as an as an entrepreneur, um, but it also tells you what, what what type of leader he actually was. I think in terms of the inspiration, in terms of of the visions that he had, uh, but he, you know, in in a way, even for Apple, he learned that you need to have certain other people on board. I think the uh, the relationship that we that she, that he had with Steve Wozniak was you know, troubled in a way. Um, however, uh, the late years of Apple, when you had people like Jonathan Ives, for example, yeah. designing his products, that was a different type of, of relationship. And I think this is sort of where you see that, you know, even he grew as a person. But in terms of leadership, um, I think some of the larger companies have a, I think, more sustainable type of, of leadership, you know, something that is that is more transformational, uh, where this one person at the top is not that important. I mean, you can see it with Tim Cook, who has a completely yeah. different um, type of behavior. And I think, you know, he has been also very, very successful over the past years, but he's exhibited a very completely different um, leadership style uh, yeah. there. So it's, yeah. I think for, for some of the years, it's important to have such a driving force, which I think Elon Musk is also, uh, but it's it's difficult to sustain this type of, of leadership over time. Yeah, yeah, right. It's fair said. I mean, I, he did it, you know, Jobs did it, turned it over to Tim Cook, and Tim Cook's been very successful, but... You got to plan for it too, and and uh, succession planning is, is should be top of mind of any large company. Well, uh, just uh, one last question I'd like to ask, if if I could, is is uh, what are you working on now that's that's exciting? What am I working on now? Um, yeah, we're planning something. I mean, I just had some some talks the other days with with some of my co-authors. Um, and one thing that I we're not really sure where this is going to be to be quite fair. Um, but one thing that I've been sort of pondering for the past one or two years is, um, let's call it in inclusive uh, research and innovation. So one of the issues that, that I had was, you know, working in data science was, um, you know, getting women to, to apply for PhD positions, uh, to, to find postdocs. And I thought that this was just an issue with my, my chair, but I sort of come to realize, and, and part of the, it's, it's called uh, the, uh, the Data Innovation Alliance in Switzerland. Um, and we talked about that this is sort of um, a problem that is, that is permeating everything in data science. I mean, we know we have a problem with uh, women in tech, uh, but it seems to be getting more and more pronounced in data science as well. You know, mm. AI, machine learning, um, it's it's very is difficult. It? And I think this mm. is this is something we're, we're currently thinking about, you know, trying to understand why this is the case. It has been the issue in tech for, for, for quite some time. Um, and also what the consequences might be. And I'm not talking just, you know, I'm not talking just a, a simple gender issue, but, you know, really inclusion. Um, 
every type of minority that is that might be affected by what algorithms do in the future and the question is should we include um these people in the design of the algorithm should we have research teams that are way more diverse than in the past because they might come up with better more customer oriented solution more scientifically advanced uh, type of research so this is something that we're currently thinking about uh going into because it seems to be uh an, an issue that is uh, i think you know important from an innovation point of view but i think it's also important from a from a society point of view yeah absolutely very humanitarian that's uh wow that's exciting well, i wish you a lot of luck with that that's it's uh really it's a hope hope that takes off for you yeah i hope to do something good there yeah good well we'll watch this space well you know uh christian it's been a real pleasure uh speaking with you if people want to connect with you or follow you how, how what's the best way should they uh how can they find you well, I think the best way is to either follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn or send me an email if you, if you have any questions. Um, yeah, just, just, just Google me and you'll, 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 you'll end up uh, getting on my page. Great. Yeah, well, it's worth it. If you're doing some great stuff, it'll be fun to follow you. So, again, enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us and um, have, a, have a great uh, rest of your day. Well, I guess it's the evening there, but uh, great rest of your day. It's an evening there. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for everyone who, uh, who listened in. It's been a real pleasure. Good. And uh, everybody else on the phone listening, we glad you could join us and uh, look forward to talking to you next time. Take care and have a great day. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.